Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. And joining me now is Joe Dolan, managing editor of FantasyPoints.com. He's also the co-host of the Fantasy Feast with Ross Tucker. And I can't wait until he's in my ear again every Sunday as co-host of Game Day on the Sirius XM channel. You can find him on Twitter at FG underscore Dolan. Oh, and I almost forgot he is, uh, I think, was it? Still the reigning champion uh, in draft accuracy in the Fantasy Pros accuracy rankings. That was for the 2020 season. We haven't named our 2021 winner yet. Uh, Mr. Dolan, welcome back, sir. Hi, Pat. Um, I, I love. Let me fully admit, I retired from that. I retired um, like like Bill Murray in um, Space Jam. Undefeated and untied, unbeaten and untied. Um, uh, it, what's going on, man? It's good to be talking to you. I. I, I love the intro. It just shows you how many different like little things we all do in this industry to try to make ourselves stand out or whatnot. It, but it's always good talking to you. It's always fun just uh, uh, shooting it up with you, man. I, I, I'm, I know we had to push this back a couple of times, so I'm glad we were able to get it. Uh, we're recording this on Scott Fishbowl Day, I guess. It, uh, it, it kicked off. I'm always paranoid that I'm on the clock and I don't know it, uh, but that is not the case right now here for uh, Scott Fishbowl. Yeah, we're off to kind of a slow start, too. Uh, as you mentioned, we are recording this on Monday morning, July 11th. It is day one of the Scott Fishbowl. So which division are you in and where are you picking? Okay, so I am in the Care Morin division uh, from The Witcher, uh, whether whether you consider The Witcher a book a video game series or a television show is up to you. Maybe you consider it all three or two of the above. Um, but I'm in the Karen Morin division. I am picking at number nine. Um, we are currently four picks in our draft. Heck, who knows? Maybe maybe the it, it'll get to me during the draft, but I'm picking at number nine in that division. Did you choose that spot or were you randomly thrown there? If I recall, I decided because of the third round reversal, I'd much rather pick towards the back end of the first round because the, all the diff, all the drafts go differently. That's why, like, when it comes to Scott, everybody's like, oh, I'm doing a Scott Fishbowl mock. I was like, I find them just mind numbing to me because you can you can mock a hundred times in this format and then it gets completely blown up. Like, I, l- l- let me just tell you. Jalen Hurts went 1-1 in my in my draft, okay? How many mocks are you going to do where Jalen Hurts goes 1-1? Yeah, uh, none. Uh, like, and it blows the whole thing up. Yeah, I was at the live Chicago drafts where they had three going on simultaneously. Kyler Murray went 6th and 1, 15th in another. Uh, I know my guy Shane Manila took Kyler Murray 101 in his draft. So, yeah, completely unpredictable. Uh, I agree that that mocks are kind of pointless in this. Um, how many years have you been doing the SFB? Oh, this is either my fifth or sixth year. Um, but I, I've had some success. You know, I've never won the thing, but I've made the playoffs every single year. And I don't I don't know. Maybe I just don't outsmart myself in the drafts, but I clearly am not smart enough to take the next step. So um, uh, I, I have a sustained track record of success, but have not gotten over the hump. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever even made the finals, but I've definitely made the playoffs every year I've done this. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to make the finals, man, especially like in the conference finals, you're up against like 20 other people and you have to be the winner to get there. So uh, it is it is tough to climb to the top of the mountain in this. Do you remember your best season and uh, who the engines were for you that year? Um, let me see. I actually think it was my first year. Uh, this is my fifth year. Um 
let's see here. I am. I, I actually have my links back to my to my old uh, teams. Uh, okay, so this is Scott Fishbowl eight. Um, I had a Drew Brees, Jared Goff quarterback room, and that was when Goff was with the Rams. That was the year they made the Super Bowl. So um, that would have been a very strong year. Um, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Zach Ertz were huge, huge for me that year. So, oh, oh, here's what it was. I had a really good quarterback room with Drew Brees and Jared Goff that year. I also had, because it's tight end premium, I had an incredible tight end room with Zach Ertz and Eric Ebron. And that was the year Ebron scored like a million oh, touchdowns for the Colts. Yes. You remember that year? Yeah. I yes. won Double so much digit money counts. Yeah, I remember uh, so much. I won so much money with uh, Eric Ebron as like an 11th round pick that year. Yeah, that was that was the one year out of all the hundreds of years that he's been in the NFL that Eric Ebron did not pull the uh, football out from uh, from Charlie Brown. <laughs> it's and it's so clutch if you can hit on a tight end late like that's one of the reasons i made the playoffs last year hitting on da- dawson knox pretty late um i i don't need you to reveal your entire battle plan but is there a p- particular position that you emphasize in scott fishbowl drafts and is there one where you're willing to cut corners yeah so this is going to be blasphemous to people who know my typical uh fantasy league setup um i am on I am on Jake Seeley's team. I am team no kickers. I hate them, but they're, I don't want to say they're a cheat code in Scott Fishbowl, but nobody wants to draft them. And if you get good kickers, you're going to get eight, nine, 10 points every single week. And it doesn't have the downside of the quarterback position because the fishbowl penalizes interceptions. It penalizes incompletions. There's quarterbacks who can have negative points in a week, you know, Kickers aren't going to do that to you. I'm willing to draft like three kickers and it really helps prevent or, or uh, protect against injuries at the other position. So, you know, if, Oh, maybe my wide receiver one goes down. Well, at least I know I can put a kicker in there. Who's going to get me eight, nine, 10 points. And in the event, he kicks a couple of 50 yard field goals. He's going to get 15, 16 points. So I'm, I'm actually willing to go into the weeds and draft kickers. It gave me like kind of a high floor last year, which is another reason why I made the playoffs. Yeah, that people don't want to do that. And they uh, think the floor of eight to 10 points from a kicker every week is not that attractive. But then, as you mentioned, uh, no one envisions injuries for their team in uh, late July or mid July. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's the NFL guys are getting hurt left or right. And being able to throw in those kickers who never get hurt is uh I know, man. I've I, like I've yet to fully embrace that myself, but I have to suck it up and, and draft at least two this year. Um, so, Joe, the big NFL news last week was the trade that sent Baker Mayfield from the Browns to the Panthers. What are your primary takeaways from that deal? Um, first and foremost, the biggest loser of the trade. Uh, I put this out on Twitter. Uh, is is the Seahawks wide receivers? Now, the reports have come out that the Seahawks really weren't terribly interested in Baker Mayfield. And I guess they plan on going in with Geno Smith and Drew Locke and seeing what happens. But, you know, I thought there was, I was holding out some hope for DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett um, because I thought Baker Mayfield was still out there and say what you want about Baker. There's no two ways about it. He's more competent than either of those two guys. So that was a big bummer. On the other hand, I think it's really good news for DJ Moore. I, I, 
DJ Moore, I think, is like one of those top five receivers, and he's currently on like the Allen Robinson cursed path where nobody really realizes he's a really good receiver because of all the trash that he's had to play with at the quarterback position. But I think this is really good news for DJ Moore. And, you know, our guy Graham Barfield over at Fantasy Points did a did a let's not a deep dive, but a medium dive into this trade because you have to be a real sicko to do a deep dive. Um, but he found that Baker Mayfield is just far more aggressive a passer than Sam Darnold, which probably opens things up for this entire offense. He he targets running backs quite a bit, which is good news for Christian McCaffrey. I just think this raises the floor and the ceiling, maybe not a ton of the Carolina offense, but I'll tell you, it, I moved up DJ Moore like four or five spots in my personal rankings because I really do believe Baker Mayfield gives this offense a little bit of juice that it didn't have. DJ Moore is now a wide receiver one that I feel pretty good about drafting because I know how talented the guy is. Think, um, I think Baker will be a little bit more aggressive. I think he'll be motivated. I understand all the problems that people had with him in Cleveland, but, you know, Baker, the way he's wired, I wonder if he's going to be like, hmm, well, I'll show them. Um, I, like, I'm not ruling out the possibility that Baker turns it around and ends up getting himself a second contract with the Panthers. I'm also not ruling out the possibility that this thing blows up on the Panthers and Matt Rule gets fired, and that's obviously what this trade is designed to avoid. But within the context of the trade, I think it was a great move for the Panthers. If you look at all the assets that they've given up in terms of draft picks and money for mediocre to bad quarterback play, it's staggeringly awful business. But this trade on an island makes sense and is a good trade. It does. And uh, DJ Moore, clearly a winner here. Um, you mentioned he is in wide receiver one territory for you. I'm assuming somewhere in the back end, but so yeah, wide receiver wide, 11. Okay. Yeah. I think I, I bumped him. I already had him pretty high. I think I bumped him from 13 to 12 with the trade. Um, so I know some people have actually suggested that there's a chance that Mayfield isn't the guy under center in week one. Ben Volan of the Boston Globe mentioned that when uh, Ben McAdoo was unemployed and uh, someone asked for his opinion of the the QB class that included Mayfield that uh, McAdoo, you know, pick Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson as his top two and had Mayfield sixth, uh, you know, kind of commented on his smaller size. I think, let's see, McAdoo's exact quote on that. If you're short, you have to be able to make up for it in some way, somehow, and it, uh, personality doesn't do that. I didn't think he was a great athlete. This guy is kind of like a pocket quarterback that is short and with small hands. That's what I worry about. Uh, I think Peter Schrager also said, don't rule out Sam Darnold, who, you know, for some reason still has allies in that building. I don't know. Do you think there's any chance at all that Mayfield is not the starter in week one? First of all, let's give Ben McAdoo credit for his evaluations of like Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Uh, I mean, who were clearly the two best. Um, and quite frankly, is is there anything, Pat, in that like little quote that he had about Baker that's turned out to be untrue? I don't think so. I think it's I think it's completely true. But you're also a fool if you're now what four years into Baker's career, four years into the career of Sam Darnold and you haven't reevaluated a little bit, I, I would feel that like a lot of folks have reevaluated their position on Josh Allen uh, for good reason. I think if, if Ben McAdoo is looking at the tape and he's looking at the results, I don't, you might think Darnold's a more talented player, but I don't know how you can look at the tape and look at the results 
and say right now that Sam Darnold's the better player. Agreed. I, I don't think I, I don't think you make this trade and say, "Oh, Sam Darnold's a starter." I think Baker's the starter. Yeah, and I, I think Darnold, it would have but... to be a disaster for him not to be the starter. Yeah, Mayfield would have to just be awful, I think, in, in training camp in the preseason for that to happen. Um, let's talk about a few of the more polarizing players in fantasy football this year. Joe, uh, why do you think Gabriel Davis has become such a lightning rod? Well, I mean, I think it's pretty simple. And and honestly, you know, I did a little segment on um, the uh, – fantasy feast podcast where a couple weeks ago i ross tucker was asking me about him and i'm like oh my god nobody's gonna take a victory lap on gabriel davis because everybody's in on gabriel davis and then kind of turns out on fantasy twitter the gabriel davis battle started off right like i didn't realize there were people totally anti-gabriel davis but it does make sense um it does make sense that you look at it from the aspect of this guy really hasn't been all that productive, like the raw production with the exception of the four touchdown game in the playoffs. And it was a phenomenal game, but it's hard to forget about it, but take that away. And he hasn't really been all that productive. And I totally understand that. Um, On the other hand, he is now the clear number two wide receiver in the pass happiest, most effective passing game in the NFL. I mean, I'm, I don't want to miss that boat. And I understand that you're paying up for it, but often, especially in this day and age in the fantasy football industry, I think it's getting harder and harder to find true sleepers, right? The the entire industry is constantly identifying guys in good offenses who have a shot to have an increased role. All right, maybe, maybe eight years ago, Gabriel Davis is a seventh or eighth round pick. Like in this, in the proliferation of information that we have right now, a talented player who had a massive game in maybe the most entertaining football game we can remember. Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley are gone. We know Josh Allen's an MVP candidate. This could be the best team in the NFL. They're constantly ranked among the best rosters, if not number one overall. It's a good coaching staff, even though Brian Dable is gone. I mean, everything points to Gabriel Davis as a breakout candidate. And every time he's played more than 50, 60, 70% of the snaps, he's put up numbers and he's commanded targets from Josh Allen. So look, you're paying a first-class ticket for a potential first-class breakout. And people don't like, especially for a guy who hasn't produced big-time numbers, people don't like buying that stock. But I, I, I understand why he's expensive and I'm willing to pay the price. Yeah, it's funny that just a few months ago when we still had snow on the ground uh, up here in the northern climbs, like Gabriel Davis's ECR was, I think, in the low 30s. And, um, you know, a lot of people really took up their their swords and shields for him. And, you know, his current best ball ADP, wide receiver 23 in fan ball, wide receiver 24 in FFPC. And now that there's a little bit of pushback, it just seems like ADPs are so sensitive to fantasy Twitter this time of year. I wouldn't be surprised if he maybe lost a few spots there. But then at some point in August, uh, I think the training camp reports and the preseason performances sort of uh, overwhelm anything, any analysis uh, that fantasy Twitter has. And if we see Gabriel Davis go off in the preseason, you know, he's going to be <laughs> maybe even up in, I don't know, mid-range wide receiver two territory. Wouldn't shock me. And, you know, if he gets the drops, we saw Jamar Chase 
slide into like the the early 30s last year because he had the drop. So I think his ADP is going to be particularly sensitive to training camp reports, preseason performances. Um, But yeah, he's definitely been an interesting case uh, this year with so many people debating him. Where are you with Saquon Barkley, who's obviously another very polarizing guy? Oh, I'm in. I like I I'm getting good vibes from Brian Dable and them taking this offense into the 21st century. All I wanted to hear and like the music to my ears was get him in space, use him in the passing game, because even the biggest Saquon like pro Saquon Barkley people and stuff. Look, look, I went to Penn State and I've saw him play in person multiple times. Saquon Barkley is not a between the tackles grinder. He's not. He never will be. He That's not his style. He's a freelancer. And it's so painful to see him run uh, up the gut and behind a bad offensive line and there's a defensive tackle in his face and he runs backwards and he gets tackled for a loss of three yards. And you can argue that that makes Saquon Barkley not a great player. You can make that argument. But it's also understanding what you've got and understanding in space the kind of dangerous player he is. I want Saquon Barkley to catch passes. I don't need Saquon Barkley to carry the ball 20 times. I And I hope Brian Dable, and I think Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, who was the pass game coordinator for Kansas City and is now the offensive coordinator, I think those guys understand that. I would love if Saquon Barkley became, from a usage standpoint, an Alvin Kamara type of player. Yeah, occasionally he'll get 20 carries, but 12, 13 carries, they mix in another back. Meanwhile, he's getting six, seven targets a game. That's the kind of guy that I want um, in my on my fantasy team. I'm in on Saquon at cost. Um, I'm getting good vibes from his interviews. It feels like he's very zen right now. He's like, look, we finally got a staff put together that can utilize my strengths. There's going to be four new starters along that offensive line, which they needed. Yeah, I'm in. I'm, I'm in on Saquon at cost. Yeah, the likelihood that Dable and Kafka use him uh, in a better way, in a, a way that fits his skill set more than Garrett, who just sort of wanted to to use him as another Ezekiel Elliott. Um, I agree. Like the, I was tentative on him just because we haven't seen true Saquon since what twenty nineteen, but. Uh, I think with this, hopefully, physically, he is at least 95% of what he was coming out of Penn State. Um, Are there any other players who stand out to you as flashpoint guys, like polarizing players who seem to inspire extreme points of view? So I... I, I was on um, with the Fantasy Pros guys, obviously, a little bit. Um, maybe if you heard that podcast uh, earlier um, this week or last week. And I have never in my life, like ranking players remember such a massive gap in ADP and where I or we at fantasy points have a player ranked than Juju Smith-Schuster. And I know know you guys, yeah, I know John Hansen doesn't really like him that much. Um, You also don't like him that much. No. And I mean, I like, this is a major flag plant for us. And you know, I I think a flag plant can be less hurtful if you say don't draft this guy vis-a-vis if you say do draft a guy and he stinks um, because there's always going to be good players that you can pick up. But we've got Juju at wide receiver 57. And I know there's, there's people who have been in their top 30. You know, I've done a ton of best ball drafts and he's consistently a fifth, sixth round pick. And when you 
look at it, it does make sense. You know, he's 25 years old. He has two 90 plus catch seasons in his career. Okay. But I also look at it from the perspective of he is now somebody who has entered the off season two years in a row as the youngest wide receiver, like the youngest proven wide receiver on the market. And he's had to settle for a low money one year contract each time. What am I missing here? He he enters the open market after the 2020 season coming off a 97 catching. Now, of course, he averaged 8.6 yards per catch, but that very well could have been because Ben Roethlisberger has a piece of fettuccine for a right arm. But 97 catches and he's out there signing a one-year deal with Pittsburgh. I, look, I know there, there's always the talk, oh, he turned down multiple years from Baltimore or he turned down multiple years from the Chiefs, I guess, last year. And then he comes out, gets hurt again, catches 15 passes this year, and has to settle for an even lower money deal. I feel like this is the NFL telling you what it thinks of Juju. Now, I also understand all the arguments for Juju. Kansas City's offense last year was shockingly restricted vertically, right? So if that's going to be the case again, well, Juju has proven that he's the guy who can eat up all those targets over the middle and in the short area, and he's going to feast for Patrick Mahomes. I get all that. Um, but the injury history, the fact that teams don't pay him money, I mean, Juju didn't even get the most money of a wide receiver the Chiefs signed this offseason. Marcus Valdez-Scantling did. So I've been gravitating more towards the young and unproven Sky Moore and MVS, who are much cheaper than Juju, than I am for Juju. And look, I understand this is a flag plant right now. Um, I'm sure this could equalize itself in training camp if we get the reports, like uh, the Athletic is reporting that uh, Patrick Mahomes and Juju Smith-Schuster are really clicking. But I feel like I've planted such a flag at this point that even if I'm like, okay, I was too low on Juju, and I move him up, everybody else will be moving him up if those reports come out, and I'm still not going to be in on that player. So he was somebody who I understood I was probably going to be controversial on, only because he's a big-name guy with a great track record of production, but it just feels like this is a guy who the NFL has told you what it thinks of him, and fantasy players have not caught up yet. Yeah, that's a real fascinating point because, um, you know, follow the money is always such a, a strong uh, principle to adhere to. And I think most fantasy gamers would consider Juju a better player than Christian Kirk, but only one of those guys drove away from free agency in a Brinks truck and it wasn't Juju. Um, yeah. So if you've got him, go ahead. And look, the NFL can be wrong, right, Pat? But Oh, sure. I mean... We've had two off seasons in a row. The entire NFL had a shot to sign Juju Smith-Schuster and didn't. And I think like, look, look, you can't separate the situation, okay? He goes to Kansas City where there's 100,000 vacated targets with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. If he signed with, I don't know, the Jets, Nobody's even paying attention to him. But, I mean, the entire NFL's had the shot to sign this guy in back-to-back -back seasons, and he's gotten a one-year deal each time. And he's 25 years old. It doesn't add up. 
So you guys at Fantasy Points have him wide receiver 57. I know he can't be your highest rated Chiefs receiver. So is there anyone you guys, and you know, this is you, this is John Hansen, this is Graham Barfield, this is Scott Barrett. Uh, is there anyone who you guys are, are sort of planning a flag on as far as a buy in that wide receiver room? Yeah, um, John. So John has like first and then final say in our projections, but they are a staff collaboration. But at some point, the buck needs to stop somewhere. And John's been pretty freaking good at this. So his flag plant on that regard is Sky Moore, where we have him way above market, wide receiver 35. Again, uh, controversial because the guy, what was he like, the 11th or 12th wide receiver drafted in the NFL draft? Just think he's a great fit. And maybe he's got a little bit of that shiny new toy uh, stuff for him. But we'll take the young rookie and see what he can do um personally my favorite chief wide receiver to draft is mbs and that's probably because i'm doing a lot of best ball right now and mbs is just made for best ball because of his um because of his skill set he led the nfl in a dot last year um, and kansas city really needed that player but he's been my favorite guy to draft because he's been so cheap and you know he's going to have spike weeks. You know he's going to have them with Patrick Mahomes. MBS has been my favorite guy to draft. We have both of them us uh, above Juju in our rank. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such an attractive offense with Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid calling the plays, and uh, it, it truly could be an ensemble effort at wide receiver with you know Travis Kelsey once again having a massive year and Maybe we don't see any of these guys get to a thousand yards, but uh, yeah, interesting, interesting take for sure. Uh, Joe, which which sport do you care about most other than football? Ooh, let's just say, um, do you mean as like a fan or for fantasy? Say as a fan. Okay, um, it's seasonal for me, uh, depending on how my Philly teams are doing. Um, I would say right now it's basketball. Because because um, the 76ers are, uh, I mean, they rip my heart out every May, but right now the 76ers are probably the best Philly team. Um, I'm the, the I, I'm I was a season ticket holder to the Philadelphia Flyers. That ship is absolutely rudderless right now. Like they have no leadership. They're, they're going out just making terrible trades. Um the flyer like I literally used to have um up until like this week I had a flyers banner hanging in like kind of my my background my my uh, backdrop room that you might see on a podcast and I just ripped it down I'm just like screw this like this team just like like I mean I I have zero excitement to watch them and and will I be a bandwagoner if they're if they're surprisingly good yeah but uh, but right now I just completely disagree with the direction of the franchise I feel like it's a team that needs a total teardown and they're out here trading multiple picks for mediocre players like I'm I, I I'm just really not into that um I would say as a sports fan if you like baseball at all there is nothing like having a good competitive baseball team to root for and, you know, when I first got my job with, uh, with John, it was 2009 and I graduated college in 2008 and immediately I had to go, you know, work for not a lot of money. I worked for the Philadelphia Eagles, not for a whole lot of money. And that was right as the Phillies were going on their world series run. And, you know, I was living by myself. And then when I started with John, 
I was living by myself in a town I didn't know. Um, and in hindsight, you realize that like, oh crap, I was 22 years old and I was depressed. Right? Like, and you realize not, not about my job. Like I was writing about fantasy football. Okay. That's pretty awesome. But I like just where I was in my life. Um, you know, I think you come out of college and you get plopped into the real world. And I think a lot of people just aren't ready for that after the college experience. And I probably wasn't mentally ready for it. And I was probably for a good portion of my early twenties, if not the entirety of them, like depressed and didn't realize it. But each and every night I had a world series contending Philadelphia Phillies team to watch. And if I didn't have that, I don't know where I would have been. Like I, I looked forward to it every day. I would come home from, you know, the, we, we used to have offices back in the day. Um, I came home from the office uh, where at fantasy guru at the time. And I would just flip on the Phillies game and, you know, Cole Hamels and Cliff Lee and Roy, Roy Halliday is my favorite athlete ever. Um, and I'm watching these guys and every night the Phillies gave me something to look forward to. Like that was that, that like, I, I, I'm not going to get so dramatic to say they saved me, but they really helped me. Um, because I didn't realize until years later how probably depressed I was, you know, um, I had a girlfriend who's now my wife who was living 200 miles away and was, and lived that way for years. And, you know, to have your life separated like that, your, your brain almost puts in like mental blocks and like having um, the Phillies every night was really just a nice, it was almost like therapy in a way. And this is going back to like the COVID like shutdowns and all that stuff, you know, and we're, we're launching a business. We, we didn't plan to launch fantasy points during a worldwide pandemic. Okay. It just so happened that our launch was in April of 2020, right after the whole world shut down. And, you know, you're getting, all these comments on your Twitter and they're like, people like, what are you doing? You know, like there's not going to be an NFL season and, and how dare you ask for money during this time? And like, dude, you know, we didn't just sit down when Rudy Gobert got COVID and we're like, you know, let's launch a business. That's not what we did, (laughs) but um, it was in the works for over a year, but um, it was what, what, so I really came to a conclusion that like, people like sports don't matter. Ergo sports shouldn't be played. And I think there's, there's obviously we're, we're a couple of years past that and we understand the science better. And there was obviously a lot of people scared. And I understand that, but I said, just based on personal experiences, and I'm sure others have lived similar experiences, sports matter because they don't matter. Right? Like I had this, this Phillies team to watch every single night when I didn't realize that I was probably depressed and they were a mental break for me. They were a reprieve for me. They gave me something to care about and fight about and love and all that. That didn't actually matter at the end of the day. It wasn't life or death. It wasn't health or unhealthy. It was, it, you know, like it, it gave me something. And that's when I realized like, hey, my job does matter. Because if people are willing to, to pay me money or pay their time to listen or read, then it matters to that person even if it's not a health or sickness dichotomy, if there's not the divide between that. And, you know, that was kind of a wake up call to me. And that's almost when I realized, man, those Phillies, like it it all kind of melded together. It took me 10 years to really realize that. But, um, 
anyway, I, that might have gotten a little more philosophical than you thought, but it is seasonal for me, the sport I care about the most. Um, right now, it's probably the Sixers, but the Phillies have been, they've been a little spunky of late, and I've really enjoyed that. Yeah, I feel bad for Flyers fans. Uh, I know how rabid they are collectively, and they have not had a lot to get excited about lately, but uh, I do appreciate the philosophy of it because I think everyone likes their distractions in life. And yeah, sports in the grand scheme of things are pretty meaningless, but uh, who are we to question uh, what others choose to distract themselves with? You know, and for so many people, it's reading or or television and, uh, you know, sports is obviously big for a lot of Americans and people all over the place. So um, yeah, and, and we feed that distraction, I guess. So uh, you made me feel better about my job, Joe. Thank you. I appreciate well, that. Look, uh, you know, I, I'm not a doctor. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm not a nurse. I'm, I'm not, I don't know. I don't probably don't have the stomach for that. I really don't. But I remember somebody reaching out to me um, um, when I, when I went on a little t- Twitter thread, because I was feeling bad that like I was asking people for their money you know, during the pandemic. And there was legitimately, there was a doctor in my mention who's like, please don't feel bad. I'm treating COVID patients 12, 14 hours a day. And I want to come home and read about fantasy football. So, you know, like, yes, my job doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but it mat- if it matters to people who do jobs that do matter, you know, that, 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 that makes me feel a little bit better about my place in the world, you know? Yeah, that had to feel good to get that note uh, when you had people. Yeah, I know a lot of people were angry at at fantasy companies for wanting to charge uh, for things in 2020 when everyone was going through a hard time. But um, yeah, the the show must go on, you know. Uh, So speaking of distractions, Joe, I know music is a welcome distraction for you. Which American band do you consider to be the greatest of all time? Oh, God. Could I get more (laughs) white sports writer here? I think it's Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band that's when the I greatest th- American band. Yeah. Yeah. When I threw this out on uh, Twitter on the 4th of July, a lot of people came back with Bruce and the E street band. So that's not a, uh, you know, that's not a, an off the wall answer. Uh, separate category, which American band do you consider to be your favorite right now? Oh, okay. Um, well, I think the music that you listen to in college and it probably does become the music that you love the rest of your life. Um, uh, my favorite band in the world would be proud to say they are Bruce adjacent where their influence is on the sleeve. That's the hold steady, which is another very white sports writer thing, uh, to like, um, but uh, on the, on the, on the more underground side of things, uh, you can see, I have, um, uh, if you've ever watched a podcast with me, um, I have my hold steady posters behind me. Um, just a band that, you want to talk their their album that came out in 2006 boys and girls in america just landed at the perfect time for me just like discovering you know the party scene in college and not that i was ever like wild wild but you know i i could tie one on every now and again um and just like having music that described both the the grime and the glory of that party scene often blurring the lines between those two really spoke to me um and and that's what craig finn's just the best lyricist on planet earth so um he does that so beautifully um and and coincidentally i discovered them when their album boys and girls in america came out in 2006 
which was probably the album that thrust them not into the mainstream, but into the public consciousness for those who pay attention to those, these kind of things. And then it turns out their album that they had released just the year before is an album called separation Sunday. And it was an album. It's a, it's a story. The album's a concept album. It's about a girl named hallelujah. Um, but the kids, they called her Holly, um, that she grew up Catholic and then basically fell into a party scene for 16 years and then reemerged at an Easter mass when she was 33 years old, essentially having a resurrection. Um, and as somebody who would consider himself a lapsed Catholic, somebody who uh, grew up going to Catholic school, you know, and learning all those things and then kind of falling out of that, you know, once you discovered what the real world looks like, um, that album spoke unbelievably to me. It's, it's my, it is my desert Island record. If I had to bring one record to an Island to listen to for the, the rest of time, it would be uh separation Sunday by the whole city. It's my favorite record of all time, but the band that I think speaks the best to where America is right now is the drive-by truckers. And I think I might've said that to you on Twitter. You did. That, that, you did. That's the band that I think if you're look, looking at America in 2022, the drive-by truckers music is probably the most relevant, which makes them a very, very, maybe the American band right now. Yeah. Uh, two great shout outs. I, I love the lyrical depth of the hold steady. And, uh, you know, they, I used to parse lyrics when I was in college a lot. And, um, you know, I don't know if any of the bands that I've liked from the last 20 years have really been, um, I don't know, like they're not inspiring me to go and, and check out their lyrics. Uh, but um, the hold steady, they give you that lyrical depth and they're a great rock band. Uh, just, oh, they're phenomenal. Know, an, Another in a long line of great Minneapolis bands. Oh, Mini- Minneapolis think- is a great rock and roll city. I know that. Um, uh, so I, I think, Pat, I will say this. Uh, I don't know how old you are. I'm, I turned 36 in two weeks. Um, I almost feel like if there's not bands that were being inspired to go out and parse their lyrics, that's probably more on us than it is on the bands nowadays. I'm not, like, naive enough to say, well, in my day, you know, but... I, I feel like at 36, I do kind of like what I like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it's kind of when there's a band currently, as a matter of fact, there's actually an Australian band right now um, by the name of Gang of Youths, which like they, they put out my favorite record of the year. Um, they probably have a sound you would like, let's put it that way. But they're they're a young band, but they are they they're probably the best like modern rock band who's actually in its prime going right now um again if, if you're paying attention to modern music nothing i'm saying to you is going to be like oh my god dolan this is a revelation but no i think uh yeah i think i think gang of youths is a band that that's going to you'll hear their influences too if you put them on fits oh nice i'm checking out gang of youths after the show just wrote down that name um all right so joe we've established that you are a philadelphia sports fan uh how are you feeling about jalen hurts right now because it seems like the fantasy community is all in yeah i mean the the fantasy community has reason to be all in like before he went down with his high ankle sprain i think it was in that horrible game he played against the giants um i think he threw three picks and then on top of that jalen rager dropped like 12 passes um before he went down with that high ankle sprain, he only Josh Allen had scored more total fantasy points than Jalen Hurts. Okay. So this is the way I think the fantasy community is looking at it. It's a season in which the Eagles probably were like, all right, there's good things that happened. 
but there's also bad things that happen with Jalen Hurts. We're not 100% sure about him as our future. Maybe we're even 50-50, and they kick the can down the road again. They traded for another first-round pick in 2023. Despite that, he didn't have a great season where the Eagles are like, oh my God, this is our guy, and we're going to contend for Super Bowls. And There was a point before he got hurt where he was the number two player in all fantasy. And, I mean, that's a ceiling that's very easy to buy into. And they're putting all the pieces around him. A.J. Brown is like his best friend on planet Earth. They traded for him. Oh, and on top of being Jalen Hurts' best friend, he's a really good receiver. Devontae Smith is heading into his second season. They just extended Dallas Goddard. They have the best offensive line in football. Man, we're going to find out real quick if Jalen Hurts is good or not. And, by the way, we know he can put up numbers. The downside to Jalen Hurts this year is I think the Eagles definitely want to throw the ball more. And if he can't do that, I think there's a chance they go to Gardner Minshew. But I think it would have to be a spectacular failure. Like, I think I think the Eagles would have to be underachieving and Hurts would have to be playing poorly for that to happen. But I do think it's within the range of outcomes that that happens. Because I don't think the Eagles are going to devolve quote unquote, because I mean, their offense took off when they did this last year, but I don't think the Philadelphia Eagles, I don't think Howie Roseman. I don't think Nick Sirianni. I don't think Jeffrey Lurie want to play the type of game where they're leading the NFL in rushing attempts. I don't think that's the way they want to play. The, the, the run game is always going to be important when Jalen hurts is your quarterback. Jalen hurts could be the Eagles quarterback for the next decade. And the run game will always be important because of his skill set. But the Eagles don't want the run game to be the foundation of what they do. And he's got to prove that he can do that. But I'm in on Hurts. He's going to be, he's probably going to be my most drafted quarterback again this year, unless I get priced out of drafting him. Last year, I did not get priced out of drafting Jalen Hurts. This year, I might be. Yeah, it seems like you could this year. And that is a little scary that, like, I, I agree with you that it's of all the highly ranked quarterbacks for fantasy, I think Hurts is the most highly ranked who uh, could conceivably be benched at some point. So, um, and that is a little frightening. You mentioned the pass catchers, AJ Brown currently being drafted as a low end wide receiver. One Devonta Smith, low end wide receiver, three Dallas Goddard, mid range tight end one. Do all those seem uh, right to you as far as the value? I think that those, those seem reasonable. And when, when going to AJ Brown, um, keep in mind that his best season in the NFL came in a year in which Derrick Henry ran for 2000 yards. So A.J. Brown has put up big numbers in a run-first offense before. This is not an unfamiliar environment to him. Um, when you when you phrase it the way you did, I think potentially considering Devontae Smith a really good value is probably a reasonable expectation. Um, I talked to somebody who would know. I'm receiving secondhand information, but I talked to somebody who would know and would know somebody who would say this. A defensive coach in the NFL who said Devontae Smith's already one of the top 10 hardest receivers to, to cover in the NFL. Wow. And I know like and... he didn't have the Jamar Chase year or the Jalen Waddle year, but within the context of what the Eagles did, I mean, Devontae Smith is a really good route runner. And I think he compliments A.J. Brown beautifully. And I know like the arrival of AJ Brown, like threw some cold water on the Devonta Smith enthusiasm, but uh, it's still a pretty narrow target tree there. And if uh, someone else were to get hurt, like Devonta is going to get a pretty healthy number of targets, especially as you point out, the Eagles want to throw more this year. Now, uh, Joe, and you recently, 
Oh, go ahead. And they also, by the way, don't discount this. He's not really a fantasy guy, but they signed um, Zach Pascal, who is their tallest receiver at 6'2". So he's going to be somebody who, you know, can catch balls in the red zone. He has a high touchdown rate in his career. So they all of a sudden, they have a pretty freaking good receiving core in Philly. Yeah, they really do. It's a decent group of pass catchers for sure. So uh, no excuses for Hurts, I guess, as a passer. Um you recently moderated a fantasy points take battle between colleagues Graham Barfield and Scott Barrett. Did any of their takes, uh, were any so hot, so so face-melting that they fundamentally changed your own valuation of a player? Um, yeah, so one of my whole things is, by the way, Scott and Graham, this was all in good fun. They were just throwing insults at each other. It was a lot of fun to do this. Um, one of my whole things is like, I get it always sounds good, but you'd rather be a year too early than a year too late on like getting out on an old player. Right. And right. Like, like you don't want to be like, Oh my God. Like last year, if you drafted Zeke Elliott, I understand he's young, but like if you drafted Zeke Elliott at third overall for last year, you're probably not too keen on drafting him even in the fourth round this year. Um, And one of the players who I was like, Hey, thank you for your half decade of unbelievable service to my fantasy team. But goodbye, Adam Thielen. I'm not going to be drafting you anymore. And then Scott really kind of tactfully brought up the point that it kind of feels like everybody has said the same thing on Adam Thielen, right? Hey, thanks, Adam Thielen, for all these years of like outperforming your ADP, and I'm not going to draft you this year. And now he's a sixth, seventh round pick. And Scott convinced me there are worth worst ways I could spend a sixth and seventh round pick than on Adam Thielen this year. Now I am hedging a little bit because I've really enjoyed drafting KJ Osborne in the double digit rounds, but I, I I'm kind of with Scott. Like if Adam Thielen was a fifth round pick this year, like he's been in years past, I would be out on Adam Thielen, but just the things that happened, you know, him getting hurt fluke injury, by the way, for, is what he says always take what a player says about their own health with a grain of salt. But Thielen says, oh, I'm in the best shape of my life and all that. And I also think their offense is going to be better, right? Like, I think Kevin O'Connell coming in there, Justin Jefferson's like, hey, we're not a run-first offense anymore. And Kirk Cousins loves Adam Thielen. I think Scott convinced me that, like, let's give it one more year because it's like an, it's like an old vet for – an NFL team. Maybe let's throw it out there. Uh, the, the Eagles, they released Fletcher Cox to redo his contract for one year. It's almost like, Hey, you're not what you once were, but the price makes sense for both of us. Let's try Let's try to see if another year works here. That's kind of where I'm at with Adam Thielen now. And Scott really kind of convinced me that the cost with the new offense, he, it, it, it fell too much for Adam Thielen. And he really did a good job arguing that for me. I know Graham was not in on Adam Thielen. Graham is staying hard and fast to the, I'd rather be a year out, a year too early out than a year too late. And I get that because that's where I was going to be. But Adam Thielen, I think it's cheap enough for me to buy into Adam Thielen. Yeah. And we've seen his efficiency decline in recent years, but it's been more of a slow drip than a crash. And maybe that Kevin O'Connell offense, uh, you know, patches up that leak. Uh, and speaking of his offense, I know you're you're pro Dalvin Cook. Where do you have him ranked, and how do you think O'Connell's offense might affect him? 
Well, first and foremost, I think the offense just fits him beautifully. It's still a zone-based run scheme, but also Kevin O'Connell loves screens. I mean, the Rams offense under McVay is always near the highest percentage of screen passes in the NFL. I understand that a lot of that is to wide receivers, I know. Um, But I think Dalvin Cook's going to be um, really a beneficiary of that. But of course the injuries are the problem. Well, the injuries are why Dalvin cooks a back after the first round player instead of an early first rounder. We have him at running back five and that's ahead of Joe Mixon. That's ahead of Derek Henry. That's ahead of Deandre Swift. Uh, that's ahead of Aaron Jones. Um, I think that's maybe in line with where some people have uh, Dalvin cook, but Dalvin cook to me, if I'm drafting a running back in the back half of the first round, I love him. Now, one guy who's been going close to Dalvin Cook on like underdog drafts is Najee Harris. We've got Najee Harris above market. We have him RB2. Um, that's a John Hansen flag plant. I'd still have Christian McCaffrey there. Uh, but he's got Najee Harris RB2. I like Najee more just because he's younger. But man, Dalvin Cook, if I can get him at 10, 11 in the first round, I'm talking about somebody who's got the RB1 in his range of outcomes if he stays healthy. I understand that's a big question. That's why he's a back half of the first round player. But I think this offense with an improving offensive line, zone-based run scheme, uh, screen game, I think it all lines up for Dalvin Cook to have a huge year. Yeah, um, I'm with you. He's he's averaged north of 110 total yards a game for his career uh, and I, like almost a touchdown a game. So plus the new offense. Yeah, there's reason to be excited, I think. Um, so, Joe, you're doing this beat writer podcast series for fantasy pros. What did the Boston Herald's New England Patriots beat writer say to you about Ramondre Stevenson? So um, it's my boy, Andrew Callahan with the Boston Herald. He is a must follow on Twitter. Um, he's just he, he's really good at analy- uh, both reporting, but also analyzing what's going on. And he flat out told me he expects Ramondre Stevenson to take over that backfield by midseason. Now it's always hard to predict. That was a predict. That was a. I, I don't want to say a guess. I'm sure it's informed, but like he just thinks based on his skill set, based on the fact that Damian Harris is in a contract year, he thinks Ramondre Stevenson is going to be their lead back. And both of those Patriot backs, Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, are affordable. But Stevenson's now become one of my most drafted running backs um, because I saw his argument, and also he showed last year that he's better in the passing game than Damian Harris. Now. Damian Harris was excellent at the goal line and scored a ton of touchdowns, and we need Stevenson to do that. But I could see Ramondre Stevenson being a league-winning type of guy because, you know, the run game is going to be important to the Patriots. Mac Jones is their quarterback, and he's a certain kind of quarterback. I I think Ramondre Stevenson in, like, the ninth, 10th round, man, he's become somebody I've really enjoyed drafting. I love that, and he is such a bowling ball. uh, But, you know, when you can get a bowling ball who can catch passes – and, uh, you know, has pretty good feet, really intriguing player. So, um, uh, I was already pretty high on him. That gets me even higher. Uh, I know you're a fellow Jahan Dotson guy. Well, if you're a Penn state guy, of course you are. So do you think there's a chance for him to pop as a rookie when he has to share targets with the, uh, newly mega rich Terry McLaurin in, in a Carson um, Wentz triggered passing attack? Well, I do know from talking to Ben Standig on the franchise focus podcast series we have at fantasy points, um, he called Jahan Dotson the MVP of their offseason program. I don't want to go too far, though, because, I mean, I think Carson Wentz is an aggressive thrower, which is good, but we've now seen two teams in two years give up on Wentz, and one of them had Doug Peterson, who helped coach him into an MVP candidate, and the other had Frank Reich, who helped coach him into an MVP candidate, and 
that's probably not a good thing. I do know from watching a, a ton of Jahan Dotson over the past couple of years that he's really good at tracking terribly thrown deep balls because Sean Clifford at Penn State throws a terribly inaccurate deep ball. Um, and that's good because Carson Wentz isn't terribly precise on those deep balls. Um, I think, let's say, say it this way, I think for his upside, Jahan Dotson is priced very fairly right now. Um, but he is, he's got to be coming in as the number two wide receiver right now. They like they just paid Terry McLaurin. I'm not entirely confident that Carson Wentz is going to be the guy. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, I came up with a stat right now from Carson, uh, uh, about Carson Wentz. Um, and I want, uh, I'm looking for it on Twitter, which is why I'm stalling right now. Um, uh, okay. Here, here it is. Carson Wentz uh, has never had a wide receiver who finished higher than wide receiver 23 in PPR fantasy points per game. That was Alshon Jeffrey in 2017, which was Wentz's uh, pseudo MVP campaign before he got hurt. Okay. It didn't even happen with Michael Pittman being the only show in town in Indianapolis last year. Now, I think you can make an easy argument that Terry McLaurin's the best receiver Wentz has ever played with, and Jahan Dotson's the best number two receiver Wentz has ever had. But even in 2017, Wentz has never had a wide receiver finish higher than wide receiver 23 in PPR fantasy points. That's a little concerning wow. to me. And he was, yeah, and he was playing at a near MVP level. Uh, he now, might have even been named the MVP. Yeah, I, I thought he could have been even though he got hurt, quite frankly. That's how good he was that year. Right, right. Now, consider this, though. And the counter to that is his number one receiver that year was Zach Ertz. Wentz always gravitated to Zach Ertz, but it's just a little food for thought that, I mean, his the best receiver he's ever, he's ever supported wide receiver was a low end wide receiver too. Just a little bit of food for thought. So there's, there's obviously differences there, but like last year, even with Michael Pittman being the only show in town, a little concerning for me about Wentz's ability to produce uh, two good fantasy relevant wide receivers. Not like Dotson's expensive or anything, but you know, just something something to throw out there. Right? Yeah. If, if his best finish ever for one of his wideouts is wide receiver twenty three, um, hard to get too enthusiastic about his second wide receiver. Uh, all right, Joe. We only have a few minutes left. I want to get a take on your uh, targets and fades based on early ADPs and early drafts you've done, best balls and so forth. Uh, Who have been some of your favorite targets? Yeah, um, uh, so I, I already mentioned that I like Dalvin Cook at cost. Uh, in the second round, I think Mike Evans has been really good for me. Um, I actually like Michael Pittman this year in the third round um, with with Matt Ryan. I think Matt Ryan's going to be a really good um, a really good guy for him. One thing I've really loved doing in like the fifth, sixth round, it's possible to stack Lamar Jackson and Rashad Bateman. I really love that like fifth, sixth round for the wide receivers where Rashad Bateman and Darnell Mooney and Amon Ross St. Brown are getting drafted. I've, I've really loved that. Um, I'm, I'm just going down uh, an underdog ADP right here. Joe Burrow um, has been a guy, especially if I drafted Jamar Chase or T Higgins in the sixth and seventh round, I've been drafting him a ton. And one guy um, who I, I talked with the, the fantasy pros guy, obviously I talked with uh, D bro and I talked with Joey P about who I think has been just drastically undervalued because of a move his team made this offseason is Hunter Renfro. The guy caught 100 passes last year, and he's like a seventh, eighth round pick. And Right, and pe- people are fading him because of Devontae. And I, I understand that, but 
this is an offense, Josh McDaniels' offense can support both of these guys. It really can. And, and you, what, do you think just like all of a sudden after Derek Carr developed this unbelievable trust for Hunter Renfro that he's just not going to, like, he's going to give him five targets a game now? I don't see that happening. I really don't. I think Hunter Renfro is going to, is going to be, I think it's, he's one of those guys who I'm going to be like, Man, if I don't draft him a bunch and then you see him in week one get 10 targets and catch eight passes for 80 yards, you're like, oh, God, why didn't I see that coming? That's what it feels like for me with Hunter Renfro. And when Waller was hurt last year, no one was more reliably getting eight to 12 targets a game than than Renfro. It was like every week, at, at least that, and good for like and five or six catches minimum. Like he was wide receiver 10 last year, okay? He's fallen all the way down in ADP to wide receiver 40 on under, underdogs half PPR. Okay. Uh, understood. But let's just say he drops even wide receiver to wide receiver 30 in a PPR league. Yes. They added Devonte Adams. Yes. Presumably Darren Waller is going to be healthier this year, but does that justify a 20 spot drop for a young receiver who just got extended? I don't buy it. What about your fades? Um, I already mentioned Juju Smith Schuster. He's kind of my, he's kind of my big fade. I am not drafted Zeke Elliott once. Um, uh, not somebody I've, I've drafted my, fr- I'm fading Derrick Henry. That's not an, un- that's not an uncommon opinion. I'm, I'm still going to dabble in Derrick Henry because, um, he's not somebody I, I hate, but I haven't drafted him a whole lot. I have not drafted Devonte Adams a whole lot at cost. I, I have no idea what to do with Michael Thomas. I have no clue what to do with that guy. I don't really know. Honestly, I don't have a clue what to do with the saints. Because I think you could be you could be very optimistic and say like, oh, somehow Kamara didn't get suspended and Jameis is playing well and Olave fits in perfectly. That's really a team that I've had a lot of trouble with with, with the Saints. Um, I'm fading Antonio Gibson. Everybody's fading Antonio Gibson. I think there's I, I think it's correct for people to fade Antonio Gibson. Uh, another guy I'm not drafting at cost is DK Metcalf. If I'm gonna get a, a, a Seahawk wide receiver, I'll get I'll get Tyler Lockett going four rounds later. I understand the quarterback play is going to be bad, but uh, I'd rather get the guy who's a lot cheaper than the guy who's probably being priced close to his ceiling. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Joe Dolan of fantasypoints.com. Find him on Twitter at FG underscore Dolan. And once the season begins, tune into the SiriusXM Fantasy Channel every Sunday afternoon to hear him on game day where Joe and Matt Camp track all the NFL action and analyze all the significant developments. Joe, thanks for coming back, my friend. Uh, Good luck with the Scott Fishbowl and the first drink at the Fantasy Football Expo next month is on me. I'll be there, Fitz. Uh, It it was good talking to you, man. Thanks for for indulging me. It really... um... People say I like the sound of my own voice. I actually hate the sound of my own voice, especially right now, by the way. Uh, but uh, but um, uh, I, I, sometimes I just go off on tangents. So uh, my, my apologies. Thanks for indulging me, guys. That's it for the show. My thanks once again to this week's guest, Joe Dolan of FantasyPoints.com. Find him on Twitter at FG underscore Dolan. Fits on Fantasy is produced by Calm Kelly, and I couldn't ask for a better friend and ally. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Music is provided by the great Milwaukee ska band International Jet Set. And my thanks to all of you for listening to and supporting the show. Please come back again next week when I'll be joined by another excellent guest. Until then, so long, everyone.
I've got a head.